Good morning, church. Hope you guys uh, had a good night's sleep and are ready to go because I'm ready to go. Listen, uh, two weeks ago we started this series that we've entitled Just Lead. And we're looking at the first book of Samuel. And if you recall in chapter 1, we get introduced to some characters, some very important people that will play a very important role in this book called the first book of Samuel. First of all, we're told about this man, Elkanah, and how he has two wives, Penenna and Hannah. And then we quickly find out that both of them have hope in their circumstances. See, Penenna was able to have children, and she was glad, and she had all her hope in that. And Hannah, on the other side, was barren, we are told, and she didn't have any hope because she could not have any children. But then in chapter 1, there's a pivotal point where Hannah prays, and it says she stands up. She willingly makes a change, and she prays before God and says, God, my circumstances, whatever they are, are not going to be my hope. Father, my hope is in you. And then she says, if it is your will, and if I have a child, if I have a son, I will give off from right back to you. And then we're told that God does honor Hannah with a child, and they name that child Samuel. And as soon as that child is, is, is old enough, Hannah gives him right back to the high priest for him to grow and minister in God. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about this high priest, Eli, and how he has two sons, or had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We've got a lot to cover. We're going to be covering 1 Samuel, like I said, chapter 2, verses 11 to 36. And we're going to look at all of chapter 3. So I hope I can get you guys out of here with about two, two and a half hours. So bear with me. The Cowboys is not, you know what I'm saying. So don't worry. No, I'll get you out of here quick enough. Don't worry. Some of you guys are already leaving. Let me, let me open up in prayer, and then we'll jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, again, I want to just give you so much thanks. We're thankful for the God that you are. We're thankful for what you do. But most of all, we're thankful for your son. And Father, a lot of us take your word for granted. We have it so accessible every single day, but yet we push it off. We put other things above your word, above you, Father. So at least today, a day that you have assembled as being a a holy day, a day that's set apart, your Sabbath, Let us come today corporately, hear you, listen to you, obey you, and leave here different people than when we came in. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to let me be your voice, but let it be that. Let me be your voice. Let it be your words, Father. Lord, I thank you and I praise you and I say all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 2, 11 through 36. But before we get started, I want to just show you the overarching verse of today's sermon and it's in verse 30 where it says it says this it says far be it from me for those who honor me I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed and this is God talking to a prophet who in turn the prophet tells Eli the high priest these things and this is what it's saying it's saying look those that honor me God speaking I will honor and those that don't honor me, I will, not dis- I will not honor. As a matter of fact, the words here is lightly esteemed. There's some other translations that says, I will not think highly of. I will disdain. I will humble. And we're going to be looking at that today. We're going to look at what it looks like to honor God and what it looks like to dishonor God and the consequences of each. 
But in particular, I wanted to look at three things. What it looks like to honor God in our godly leadership when it comes to be out in public, when it comes in our family, and when it comes when we come to obey and listen to God. So three things of being a godly leader in public, within our families, and then obeying and listening to God. Chapter 2, verse 11 to 36, open up your Bibles. You can grab one underneath the chair if you don't have one, or as always, we're going to have um, the, the verses up here behind me. One of the things that I want you guys to also look at is that the author uses what I call comparative narrative. They interchange, and we'll see that right now. And what we're going to see is right away we're going to see what, what it looks like to honor God, and then we're going to see what it looks like to dishonor God, the comparison. So let's jump in. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, speaking about Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. There's a first contrast. We see Samuel, this young boy who's ministering, serving the Lord. And then we have these priests themselves, sons of the high priests, Hophni and Phinehas. And they're called worthless men. And the translation in Hebrew for worthless men are sons of Belial, which means they're sons of adultery. They're sons of immoral sins. They're liars. And there we see the comparison off the bat. Verse 13 says this, The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pong fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was offering or sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. So here we have these two priests who knew God's word, who knew God's law. And it was very clear when it came to the offering. Leviticus 7 made it very clear that when someone came with their meat offering, that they would first get it and get the fat. And that they would sacrifice to God, the fat. And then they would get a portion and give to the priest. And the other portion would be given to the family as a festival, as a, to celebrate. But here we see that these men were disregarding God's word. They were dishonoring, disobeying God publicly. And they were taking what they wanted for themselves. And not even that, we see off the bat there that they weren't doing it themselves. They were sending their servants to do their dirty work. And then even when the people that were coming to the offering would say, you know what, you're doing it wrong. At least let me, let me get the fat first. They'd say, no. The priest wants what they want. And if you don't give it to me, I will take it by force. Dishonoring God publicly. They were abusing of the roles when it came to leadership and leading God's people. We go on. And it says this in verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. 
There's another contrast right there. The men were sinning, and the sin was really great before the Lord, and everybody knew about their sin. But on the flip side, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, and now they were told he's wearing a linen ephod. And what that meant is that he was a minister. He was now beginning to serve the Lord publicly. And we're going to see how little by little Samuel starts growing in his ministry, and Hophni and Phinehas start falling in their ministry because they were dishonoring God. Verse 19 says, And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home, and indeed the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. The author keeps repeating that. Samuel was honoring God and growing in the presence of the Lord. And the result of that, the family was also being blessed. And Hannah was blessed with more children, as this tells us. But the leaders of the church, the leaders of God's people, Hophni and Phinehas, were dishonoring God publicly. Here's my first point to you guys, for you guys. Godly leadership is ministering to others and not yourself. Godly leadership is ministering to others and not yourself. Hophni and Phineas were in a position where they were just taking advantage of people's offerings. They were ministering themselves. They were abusing of their authority. An authority that says you have to serve the people. Don't let the people serve you. And they were doing anything and everything they wanted. I think verse 14 sums it all up. Where it says, all that the fork brought up, the priests would take for themselves. Again, disobeying God, disobeying his law, dishonoring him not being godly leaders publicly. I'm reminded of a joke, first joke. I'm reminded of a joke that I think captures what they were doing. There was this young pastor who took over um, as senior pastor in one of the churches. And after giving a great sermon, he collected the offering and people gave all the offering. And, and at the end of the service, he, he brought two deacons with him and he got the basket of offering, went to back in his office and he prayed. And then he got the basket and he threw it up in the air. And everything fell to the floor. Then the pastor would grab as much as he wanted, put in his pocket, and walk away. And the deacons were like, what was that about? Next week, same thing. He picked up the offering, put everything in the basket. The pastor would pray over the offering. He'd throw it up in the air, fall to the floor, grab it, put it in his pocket, and walk away. Week after week, this happened. So one day after he did the same thing, basket up in the air, grabbed as much as he wanted, walked away. One of the deacons says, uh, Pastor, why do you do those things? Why do you pray? And do what you do with the offering. And the pastor said, well, I get the basket of, of the offering and I pray. And I say, God, whatever you want, when I throw it up, you keep. Whatever falls down, then it means that I can take. <laughs> and this is what they were doing. They knew it was wrong. They knew it was in God's word to do what they were doing. But they were taking advantage of people. You know what the sad part of this is? Is that today we have the same Hophni and Phineas. I can think of televangelists that you see on TV all the time. Give me your money for holy things. I need a private plane to get to Africa and share God's word. And I need to do it in private because I need to pray before I get there. 
Or you know what? I need to get from point A to point B quicker, so give me your money because I need the fastest car, and I think right now God's calling me to get a Ferrari. And that's what we do. They take advantage of people. We take advantage of people because of fear, because the person that's taking advantage of them says that it's a godly thing to do, and we fall for it. And God has put priests and pastors in a position to minister, to be God's people, to share God's word. And here in Laredo, we have that mentality that pastors and priests, oh, they're up here, they are holier than now, they're, they can't do anything wrong. I remember an event a couple of years ago that um, I, I helped at the school my wife works at. It's a Catholic school. Nothing against Catholicism. Please don't get me wrong. It's our fault for, for putting these people up here. But the bishop was going to come speak at that event, and I was an usher, and, and everybody was all nervous, and here comes the bishop. Well, 15 more minutes. Where's the bishop? I don't know. And my responsibility was to save a front row parking space for the bishop. And there you had old ladies parking at the end, just barely getting to the gym where it was held at. But no, no, this is for the bishop, okay? And the bishop, and the bishop, and everybody was freaking out. And I'm looking, thinking to myself, wait a second. Is the bishop coming or Ben Roethlisberger? Because this is crazy, all right? So the bishop shows up, and everybody, oh, and like, wow. And I wanted to stop and say, hello, he's just a man. He's just a sinner like you and me. And God's given him a role. Okay, he represents a church, but he's no better off than you, no better off than me. It's just a role that he plays. He's a leader, and we make him more than what he is. I can think of... Two months ago, my wife and I, we purchased a car, and we turned in our paperwork, and, and about a half an hour later, the manager comes out, and he comes, and he says, and he apologized. He goes, Mr. Randa, I have to apologize, and I'm looking at him, and I look at my wife. What happened? And he goes, I just read, when you fill out your paperwork, you're a pastor. And I said, yeah, well, and he was like, I, I didn't respect you as a pastor, and he kept rocking back. <laughs> I'm thinking, wait a second. And I told him, you don't, you don't have to respect me anymore any less than any other man that walked in through your doors. God has put me, and I'm so thankful God has put me as a pastor. And that's what I do. That's my role. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you and I, we're all the same. We're all sons of the king of all kings. Not any better, just different. But we have that mentality. We have that view and that's what I love about grace. I mean, Pastor Chad is as real and as authentic as he can get. A little too real and too authentic sometimes, but he's real and authentic. And I love that about him. And I, I keep saying this, but when we go play basketball or flag football with, with guys that don't usually come to grace, and we invite them to come, and they don't know who the pastors are, and then afterwards they're speaking to their friends, and they say, hey, who was a pastor? And they say, well, you know that guy that was talking, talking trash and doing this? That's a pastor. And they're like, what? We're men. Yes, God put us in a role as leaders, and we want to be godly leaders. We honor God by being a good example publicly and ministering to others. When I get asked, what should I call you? What, do I call you pastor? I said, no, call me your holiness and kiss my ring. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. I say, call me Eddie. That's who I am. A pastor is what I do. And one of my favorite verses 
Because in Philippians it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Church, if we would get that right, we'd be so different at our workplace, at our homes, and beyond. But as leaders, we need to minister to others and not be ministered to. The greatest leader, Jesus Christ himself, his word says that he came to serve, not to be served. And here we have these priests, Hophni and Phinehas, take advantage, taking advantage of their position because of who they were and the authority they had. And again, we see that today. And sadly but true, Christianity as a whole is, is seen as hypocrites because of that. Let's move on in verse 22. It says this, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? And I love that verse that is foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the one who would intercede for us. And it says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. So here we have a picture again of Hophni and Phinehas, and now their sin was great, getting greater. Now we're told that they're sleeping with the women who were, who were serving at the church, at the temple, probably because of their authority. They were taking advantage of that. And then we see Samuel who was still growing and ministering before the Lord. But now, now it says that he was in favor with the Lord and with man. And if you see that verse, the exact same verse is used to describe Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And people are taking notice of Samuel. They notice the sinful ways of Hophni and Phinehas and how their leadership is. And then they're noticing how this young boy Samuel is ministering and honoring not only God, but man. Now we're going to see the fate of these evil sons in verse 26. And there came a man of God, a prophet, to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me, I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, here's our overarching verse, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes and to grieve his heart, all the descendants of your house shall die before the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, 
shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is lifted in our house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. And shall say, please put me in one of your priest's place that I may eat a morsel of bread. So we see what's going to happen or what does happen to the sons of Eli. They're both put to death. We'll see that in chapter 4. And then on the same day, Eli, their father, dies. But then we see the contrast on how Samuel and his family is receiving blessings. And Eli, because of dishonoring God and their sons, are receiving a curse from what they do and how they frequently and constantly disobey God's word. And he says, I am going to raise for myself a faithful priest. And that is Samuel. But there's two verses that I want to flesh out here. Two verses that, that talks about godly leadership and how really it begins at home and how Eli failed to do his godly leader role at home as a father, as a parent. So here's my second point to you. God calls us to exhibit godly leadership at home. God calls us to exhibit godly leadership at home. Two verses that I think um, show this, his failure as a father. Verse 22, it says this, he, he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. In other words, it was nothing new. He kept hearing. The people would come to the high priest and say, look what your sons are doing. He probably saw it himself. And he kept hearing and did nothing of it. And then when he did stand up to his boys, this is how he responds. He says, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from these people. No, my sons, bad, bad boys. It's not good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. He didn't discipline his children. And when he did, it was like a little slap in the hand. No, 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 don't do that. It's not a good thing to do. And leadership begins at home. Godly leadership begins with godly discipline. I love one of the small groups my wife and I just led this summer. It's by Chip Ingram, and it's called Effective Parent Parenting in a Defective World. And this is a small group that I think we're going to be offering every semester, and it's, it's really, really good. And one of the things that I love, uh, Chip Ingram, he, he, he summarizes discipline this way. He says, discipline is teaching obedience to God and his word through consistent consequences. That means actions. You do something wrong, the minute you do it, you're going to get a consequence consistently. Not sometimes yes, not sometimes no. It's consistent action. And then he says this, and clear instructions. In other words, there's going to be a warning beforehand. It's going to get clear. If you disobey, these are the consequences. But then he wraps it all up and he says this, in an atmosphere of love. Parents, we need to discipline our kids with actions consistency but all wrapped up in love be clear about what they're doing what they're doing wrong and then stick to whatever consequent was made one of the applications that my wife and I got out of this many applications but one of them that we that we started practicing is what Chip Ingram calls is make a discipline contract and I made one and what it is and I formulated it all we put all the things that our boys have to do we have two sons by the way Hoffney and Phineas no I'm kidding <laughs> No. Aaron and Ethan, 
two boys, and I listed all the things that they needed to do, their responsibilities, and they all have chores, wash the car, mow the lawn, you name it, but also general instructions, respect each other, honor God, honor us as parents. We put all these things very clear. And if you disobey these things on the contract, here are the consequences. There's a warning, and if you disobey, boom, you take your car again away from you, or you take your cell phone away from you, or no TV, or whatever. Consequences, actions. And the very next day when one of my sons broke one of the deals, he knew about it. He signed it. After we did the contract, both my boys signed it. My wife and I signed it. There it is. Any questions? No. So when it happens, you can't say, well, I didn't know. It's clear. But one thing that we have to do, parents, is stick to the consequences. I will take away his phone for a week, and Wednesday comes and says, ay, pobrecito, he's been good. Give him back his phone. And the kids pick that up. But we're told, you know, we say, you know what, we want to be our kids' best friends. No. God called you to be your kids' best parents. It starts with discipline. It starts with, with being a godly parent at home. But not only that, you need to lead by example. And here's my second verse that I want to flesh out. Verse 29, Eli. Again, the prophet is speaking to Eli, and he says, why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Here it is. And most of us, I'm guilty. We honor our sons. We honor our kids before God. We put our kids up on a pedestal and our whole world revolves around our kids. I want to be in basketball and football. I want to be a cheerleader, but he's a boy. No, it doesn't matter. Put him in cheerleader. I want to be in piano. I want to do all this. And everything, everything is just revolved. What are we doing? And my wife and I, like, we talk to each other. We got, what do you got? It's a whole thing. And then at 9 o'clock, we're resting. Oh, no, he's got another training. And here we go. I'm guilty. But, you see, we, were, we had this mindset as parents. We want our kids to be happy. And, and listen up. Listen very close. God wants you to make your kids holy, making them holy by example. You lead. They will follow. Let me stop a little bit here, and I'm going to speak to you men, to you fathers. God has given us a role, a different role, to be the spiritual leaders of our household. We are to lead by example. When you pray and your children see you pray, they will pray. When you wake up in the morning and say, I want to go to church, the family will come to church. But you know, it's so sad. I hear it all the time from wives, from ladies coming here. Oh, I hope my husband comes. Men, man up, stand up, lead by example. We see here with Eli, he was leading them in the wrong example. He says here, you're getting fat yourself because you're taking the fat. What belongs to God as a sacrifice. Of course your boys are going to do what you do. You're not leading by example. Men, do what you want your boys to do, and they will most likely do it. And it starts by obeying and honoring God. You're a leader at home. Act like a godly leader at home. I remember clearly about four years ago, I was asked to be a leader for one of the epic weekends of a group of boys. And after um, a little sermon like this, we went into little, little groups, and I asked the boys, I said, then one thing that you could change about your dad. And I got several responses, and they were heartbreaking. And one of the responses was, well, I wish my dad was more time at home. I want to spend more time with my dad. I wish my dad was more loving to my mom and all these things that they were saying. But one little boy's response just stood out above any others. 
He said this, he said, I wish my dad would know more about God so he can teach me who God is. Did you get that? He wanted his father to get closer to God so that little boy can get closer to God. That's what we're called to do. We are to demonstrate by example what our children are supposed to do by obeying God. If they don't obey God, they're not going to obey you as parents. And if they don't obey you as parents, when they grow up, they're not going to obey their parents. We are building future leaders at our homes. Let's build future godly leaders. One of the homeworks that re-engage our marriage ministries asks us to do as a couple is to write things that you love more about your spouse. And I remember one day when my wife and I were doing re-engage, I get into my car and she leaves me this little note. And I started reading and I was surprised uh, that it didn't say I love more about you. What I love most about you are your rugged looks. It didn't say that. I was like, that's weird. And it didn't say the thing I love more about you was your, your physique and your athleticism. No, I didn't say any of that. But it's just something a lot better than those things. It's what I love more. Chihuahua said I was going to cry. He said, what I love most about you is that you led us to Christ. She says, I don't know what we'd be, speaking of her and my boys, if it wasn't for you trusting Christ. Man, it's time to wake up. It's time to lead your family to Christ and lead them by example. And God wants you to be a godly leader. And he begins at home. Let's read on chapter 3. It says this. Now the, excuse me, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision, it says. At that time, Eli, was, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could no, not see, was laying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lay down again. So he went and laid down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lay down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lay down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for the servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall be atoned will not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was that that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more. Also, if you hide anything from me, all that he told you. So Samuel 
told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what it seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. My third and final point to you guys is this. A godly leader hears and obeys God's word. A godly leader hears and obeys God's word. And here we have a, a huge contrast before both of them. We see in, in verse C, 3 that Eli was getting old and was losing his eyesight. It says, and the word of the Lord was rare in the, those days. There was no frequent vision. At the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. But see, we're... we're we're painted a picture of not him just physically losing his eyesight. He's also spiritually losing his eyesight. And it says that the word of the Lord was very rare in those days because Eli could no longer hear God's word. And Eli, as a high priest, was a representative. He would hear God's word and then tell the people what God had said. But he could no longer hear God. As a matter of fact, he was also blinded because even when he saw spiritual things like we read in, in the first uh, chapter of this book and Hannah is speaking to God and she's just laying herself before God and, and Eli doesn't recognize true worship and he says, what are you, drunk? He was losing his spiritual eyesight. He could no longer hear God. Little by little, his ministry was failing. But on the flip side, we see Samuel who says, this boy, he's been ministering at a young age, even though he's young and he doesn't understand my word yet, he's ministering and growing in me. He's obeying me. And because he's obeying me, he will be my prophet, my priest. And Eli, you're no longer the representative for my people. Three times Samuel was called. And three times Samuel answers. First, he didn't recognize, and then he does. And he says, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Let me ask you, maybe some of you here today feel like Eli in the sense that one time you were connected to God. You could hear his voice clearly, and you react to what he said. You were connected by reading your Bible. You were connected by being in a small group. You were connected by coming to church, and when God spoke you reacted, but maybe because of some distractions, maybe because of, of just being rebellious, I don't know, you started getting farther and farther and farther away from God. Well, maybe today God is speaking to you, and he's asking you to respond as Samuel did by saying, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Maybe you, some of you are sitting here today, and, and you know God's word, you're, you're You've been told God's word and you hear it, but you're just pushing it away. And, and God's telling you, you know what? Stick through with your marriage. Stick through with your job. God has you there for a reason. And you're just bucking against it. But maybe today's the day that you can open your ears and respond like Samuel and say, Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. Or maybe some of you are young. And don't know God's word that much like Samuel did. And he did not know the Lord yet. And you're growing. And you're, as more as you get connected to God's word, as more that you grow in his ministry, as more that you start serving, you'll be able to recognize God's word. And my prayer for you is that when you hear his word, you can respond like Samuel and say, Speak, Lord, your servant 
hears. I love the way one pastor summarizes this, these verses we just read, and he says this in a commentary I read. It says, there is Samuel who willingly hears God's voice and obeys him. But then there is Eli and his boys who are unwilling and refuse to hear God's voice and thereby disobey him. A barrier to hearing God's voice is unwillingness to open to his voice and what he has to say. Unwillingness may derive from selfishness, the fear of change, or just rebellion. However, as we see in the book of Samuel, unwillingness to obey God's voice ends in disaster. When we listen and obey God, he honors that. We don't listen and obey God. He dishonors that, and we see what happens in the lives of Eli and his sons. But on the flip side, we see Samuel. And I love how the last verse of, of, of this book, verses 19 to 21, says this. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. All of Israel, even at a young age, God declared, and everybody knew it, that this young man is going to be my prophet, my high priest. This is from Dan, which is the northern part of Israel, to Beersheba, which is the southern part of Israel. The whole land of God knew who this young man would be. But it's not the end to this story because about 1,200 years later, a greater Samuel stepped into the picture. A greater prophet, a, a greater high priest, a greater king, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus had everything, all the treasures, all the authority, everything you could ever ask for in heaven. But he humbly stepped down. And not once did he take advantage of his position. As a matter of fact, he lived the most humble life. And he was the most godly leader that ever walked this earth. He came to serve, not to be served. And at and he lived this life in perfect obedience to his father, and yet he suffered the worst consequence anyone could ever suffer. He suffered death on the cross, not because of anything he did, but because of everything that we did. He took the punishment that you and I deserve at the cross. And because of that, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we can now come to God and say, Father, but we must be open with our hearts to listen to him and I love again that verse we read where Eli says if you sin against God who will intercede and there's the answer Jesus Christ intercedes for you and for me church I wish we were a church I pray we were a church that would lead by example would be godly leaders no matter where God has you in at school at your jobs and that you would put others' needs before yours. Church, I pray that we become parents that discipline our kids in a godly manner. That we just try to make our kids happy and give them all they want. But we make them holy and point them to the ones that will give them all they need. Church, I wish we were one that would get back to God if we were once there. And listen to him and obey him and be able to say, speak, Lord. Your servant hears I want to do your will. I want that with grace to be recognized us, to be a church that honors and follows God. Let's pray.